0: And everybody gets it back again Don't take no mess at the Rose Garden Pays us their own fire They're what we desire The men in black can handle it Other teams can't it How they win that game today There's
1: just one thing you can say How start shoot that three Believe it, it ain't easy How did Brian jump so sweet Believe me, it, it ain't easy It's the flying dog that's in your lap Damon takes it to the record Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I'm Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com for both a free and a paid subscription, whichever one you want. I've got a good episode for you today with Gerald Bourget, who's a friend of mine who covers the Suns for PHNX Sports, which is an outlet in Phoenix that's does a lot of video podcast stuff and you know he's also the beat writer for the Suns for that outlet. He's 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 really good at what he does. He covers the Suns really well and I figured that with the Blazers having just played the Suns twice in a row on the first two games of the road trip, it would be a good idea to check in with somebody who covers the Suns. We don't really talk that much about the two games that were just played outside of maybe some more broad strokes stuff like his overall impressions of the Blazers having seen them up close twice now but we do get into a lot of stuff with the Suns where you know we, we, we get into like the DeAndre Ayton dynamic we get into the Cam Johnson injury that was just announced we get into the whole Jay Crowder situation we get into ownership stuff which I think affects the Blazers too because you know whenever the Suns get sold I think that's going to affect how much the Vulcans think they can get for the Blazers so we get into a lot of stuff we get into some stuff around the league around the west just kind of where we see different teams being we also kind of talk about how to approach covering something a little bit more serious than just the basketball stuff which you know here in Portland we dealt with last year with you know, the Shea stuff, and Gerald is currently dealing with with the Robert Sarver stuff on his beat with the Suns, and then obviously around the league, there's just a lot of not great stories happening right now, whether it be the Kyrie Irving stuff in Brooklyn, and then they're also maybe being about to hire Imei Yudoka, or, you know, the Josh Primo situation in Dallas, or the Miles Bridges situation with Charlotte or just just a lot of these stories that are going on right now it's just it's not a very fun time for the NBA so we we have a we have a discussion that I think is good it's kind of towards the back half of the show about how to cover that kind of stuff appropriately and how to approach that when your main job is covering the basketball side of it so I think that I think that stuff is all pretty worthwhile just a few thoughts from me before I get to our discussion, just about this road trip at large, the way that the first two games went down was pretty much exactly the way that I expected. And I think if you're a Blazer fan, you probably hope for them to go down, especially with the Blazers' two best players, Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons, not playing in either game. I don't, since I'm not on the road trip, I'm not talking to Chauncey or, you know, Joe or any of those people every day right now. I don't really have any clarity on when those two guys are going to be back. I would think that Dame probably plays in one of the next two games, but that's just a guess. I don't know for sure, but I mean, I thought he would play in the second Phoenix game but he didn't. So I don't know. I just, I I don't really know anything more than what's out there about that, but I wrote, and if you're a Rose Garden Report paid subscriber, I, released you know the before the first uh phoenix game i released a preview of the road trip and kind of what to watch for and i wrote in there that you want a three and three road trip with this schedule and with this slate of opponents and that if you can get that then you come home eight and five and you're feeling pretty good i would say i mean i know that the, the game last night the second game was probably one that a lot of people would like to forget about but Honestly, like, I wouldn't, if as a, if you're a Blazer fan, I wouldn't be even sweating that game very much because it was the second game of a back-to-back against the same team. You almost never win both halves of the uh, same city back-to-back, which is a thing that they've been doing more recently because of COVID to cut down on travel, but it's very hard to beat the same team twice in a row on back-to-back days, especially a team that's as good as Phoenix, which has looked like the best team in the West so far. And doing that without your two best players, it was just not realistic. And also, you know, you're at the beginning of a long road trip. You don't need to exert yourself so hard to win, to go come back from down 20 or whatever, to win a game on the second half. Like basically the game last night, I just, just just write that one off and don't don't worry about it but just honestly the fact that they got a split in Phoenix like they're they're exactly on schedule right now like because you know you get that split they should be able to beat Charlotte and then you just have to win one other game out of the other three which are uh, Miami tomorrow New Orleans on uh, Thursday and then Dallas on Saturday you just win one out of those three. And you come back home with a three-and-three three road trip and you're eight and five to start another little stretch of home games. You're in pretty good shape there. And obviously I think there was a lot to like in that first game, even besides just how well Jeremy Grant played, which that's exactly why they brought him in, so that they have somebody in, you know, situations like where, you know, Lillard and Simons both can't play. You have another guy who can be a twenty or thirty point scorer and step in and, you know, take on that responsibility. Jeremy Grant was maybe Not good enough to do that on a winning team every night, as you kind of saw by the team's record in Detroit. But when you need him to do that from time to time, he can. And that's what they brought him in to do. So you have to be encouraged by that. A couple of things that I I think are worth commenting on from these two games. We got to see Jabari Walker's first real minutes because he's gotten garbage time in a couple of these games, so you can't really read too much into that. But he got actual rotation minutes because they're so shorthanded. And he looked pretty comfortable out there. And you know, really just going back to summer league, he has just looked like he belongs on the court when he's out there. So I think that at some point down the road this season... It might not be anytime soon once guys come back and more, you know, more, uh, you know, other main guys. You know, if Dame Dame and Simons play in these coming games, there won't be really a spot for him in the rotation. But at some point down the line, someone else is going to get injured or they're going to trade somebody and that's going to open up more minutes. And I think he's going to be ready to take on those minutes. I think he's looked really comfortable out there. It looks like he knows where to be. This is really going back to summer league. He has just looked comfortable, and this is just speaking to, you know, what we were saying about him during the summer league run in July, where he was talking about how he knows that he's a role player in the NBA, and he embraces that, and he tries to focus on doing the things besides scoring that are going to help a team. And I commented at the time that I thought it was really impressive that a 19-year-old kid has that kind of self-awareness about what he's going to be and how he's going to have a long career in the league. And we're starting to see that manifest itself on the court on the rare occasions when he actually gets out there, so I thought that was uh something that would be encouraging to see if you're a fan and then also it was it was also just just it was good to see Trenton Watford get back out there. He hasn't played at all this season because of the hip injury that he had during training camp. He was able to get back out there and play uh in the second Phoenix game last night, so you know. I think at some point, yeah, that just gives you another option besides Drew Eubanks as your backup center. It just it just gives you another body to throw out there. And Trenton Watford is somebody that I know that they the organization really likes, and I think they see him as being a part of the rotation in some capacity. So it was it was good to get him back out there. The Miami game tomorrow, I just saw that Tyler Hero is questionable, which obviously that would be kind of a big thing for the Blazers if he's not able to play. So that's one thing and then we still don't know about whether Dame is going to be available or whether Ant is going to be available. I would guess that if one of them plays it'll be Dame and not Ant. I don't know what happened with Ant exactly with this injury, but I just I from what I've heard I think he's a little further away than Dame is and I think Dame definitely is going to be playing soon. So that's kind of where all of that is at, but this conversation that I just had with Gerald Bourget is really good, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. It's not as much necessarily Blazer-focused as some of the other pods that I've done recently, which is why I'm giving you some of my thoughts on this road trip at the top of the show, but I th- I would recommend that you go and listen to this because, you know, we get into a lot of stuff. I think his perspective on where the Suns are at is really interesting and just kind of you know, he's a guy that I have followed and known for a long time. And I've always really respected the work that he does. And it's a good conversation. We get, you know, we get into some stuff about different teams. We also get into some, you know, Lee wide stuff. I, I, I think it's something you guys are, are going to enjoy. Again, remember RosegardenReport.com. go subscribe. Free subscriptions are available. I would encourage you to get a paid subscription. I've been pumping out a ton of stuff. I think I'm giving the people their money's worth who are deciding to sign up for it. Uh, So I would encourage you to do that. The podcast, as always, Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it's on there. Subscribe, rate, review, all of that. Let's get to the conversation. All right, thanks for doing this, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
1: So where do you land on this Thing that the league has been doing the last couple of years, basically since they had to do the super compressed COVID schedule where they'll do two games in one city back to back between the same two, like the baseball type of series. Cause they've been doing that a lot more lately. And they, you know, this is Portland's first one of those this year. I think it's Phoenix's first one too, but you know, where, where do you land on those?
0: Yeah. I mean, they're kind of weird. I kind of like them just because you get games out of the way without you know, if you're going to do a back to back, that's kind of the way to do it to minimize right. the travel component. Um, but it is kind of weird. Like in this situation, the Blazers and the Suns only play each other three times and they've already finished it in like mid-November.
1: <laughs> like yeah, they're they're done. They're done. That that was the big deal about uh, <laughs> the way that that uh, the first one of these two games ended with, you know, with that with that Jeremy Grant game winner in the travel call is that that shot and that play decided the season series (laughs) now if there's a uh, situation where let's say they're tied or they're in in the standings at the end of the season but I don't know I don't think that's going to happen because I think the Suns are going to end up having a better record than the Blazers but if that were to happen Portland gets the tiebreaker now because of that whole play or just because of that and now but it's just it's, it's just weird to see that just these two teams and you know these are two teams I think we can now like I I said before the season I thought the Blazers were a play-in team I think I'm kind of starting I'm not fully there yet but I'm starting to change my thinking and saying I now think they're fully a playoff team but Mm -hmm. them but like their, their games this whole season against one of the I mean I think it's fair to say the Suns have looked like the best team in the West so far but they're just done playing each other now
0: Right, it's it's kind of bizarre, but I'm I'm kind of with you as far as the Blazers. I was viewing them as a play in, maybe lower rung playoff team. Um, now I'm a little bit higher on them just because I mean they've looked really good. Like uh, you know, beating the Suns without their two top scorers is obviously very impressive, but they did it in the first matchup too. And I, I've I've been pretty impressed with some of their younger guys. This this team is uh, putting together some nice some nice draft picks in the last couple of drafts, I would say.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the the shade and sharp thing is the, is kind of the big surprise. And I mean, I've, I've talked about it like every time on this program, but I thought that it would take basically half the season for him to even be able to crack the rotation because he looked so, because I mean, first of all, like he didn't play at all at Kentucky last year. So he has not played competitively in, over a year or 18 months or whatever it was since he was playing in high school. But then he also looked pretty lost a lot of the time in preseason. But then, you know, day one he's playing and he hasn't really looked lost out there. He was the Blazers, you know, best player last night, I would say. So like, yeah, he's, he's been good.
0: No, he's been great. I mean, Jeremy Grant, it seems like he's going to be a nice fit. And like, I like Keon Johnson. Like they've, they've just got some nice, pieces and, and the defense has been I mean at least in the two games or two or three games that I've seen against the suns uh the defense has been pretty pretty good
1: yeah well they have that's the that's the whole idea that they had with the way they were building the roster was we're gonna surround dame and ant with athletic like big athletic guys that can defend multiple positions we're gonna bring in you know a Jeremy grant justice Winslow Josh Hart that's kind of the idea that they had and so far it's working. I'm waiting until the end of this road trip to really decide whether I'm gonna publicly say I think the team is good. <laughs> but right. I cause cause you 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 know how it is. Like cause like look at me, look look at like like for instance, like like where where are you landing the jazz right now? Because that's kind of the <laughs> yeah. surprise story of the of the season so far is everybody just assumed that the jazz were going to be one of the worst teams in the league. They traded Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell for, you know, half of the next, you know, three drafts. (laughs) Like they, like Danny Ainge and Sam pressy basically control the next like four drafts, like by themselves, like at this point. And so the thought was just like, you know, they traded their two all-stars. They're just going to be terrible. They're going to go after Victor and they're, what are they? Are they what? Five and two, five and three. Now they just, you know, beat the lakers the other night they've beaten some good teams like but i don't think any of us really think that that's like gonna continue they're gonna like they're gonna force the issue they're gonna trade mike conley at some point they're gonna make up an injury to shut down jordan clarkson at some point like so i you don't want to overreact too much to Mm -hmm. the beginning of of any of these seasons because there's always going to be a team like that or like san antonio i guess san antonio is starting to come back down to earth now a little bit but they started off the season uh, five and two also but you don't want to overreact to it too much but when i look at what portland has been doing there's not anything that they're doing that is why they're winning these games that i think isn't sustainable especially once they get dame back because like they they've won you know they, they that, that first game that they won against phoenix the Friday night without Dame and without Simon's like they did that because they defended and Jeremy Grant who they brought in to be kind of their third option on offense and kind of to be able to step up and be a first option like he was in Detroit do that from time to time when he needs to he did that that was what what he did the other night was what they brought him in to do occasionally and he did that So like like there's nothing that they're doing right now that I don't think is that I think is like oh this is a fluke this isn't gonna this isn't gonna last in two weeks.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, I, and I, I, I'm I'm torn on the Jazz because they're like I I keep waiting for them to fall off. They're seven and three. I still need to give it more time because, like you said, like I, I feel like they're going to start shipping off guys at some point. But Laurie markannon has been playing like a monster. But that I don't know how sustainable that feels compared to Portland, like you're talking about, like Jeremy Grant that Friday game. He had that stretch. I think it was the second quarter. Yeah, where he was just unstoppable like they they couldn't do anything to slow him down and like you said that's exactly what they need him for on the nights where Dame or Simons either can't get it going or they're taking the brunt of the focus on defense like to have him as your third guy is is a nice little luxury so it does kind of feel sustainable and it does feel like okay the biggest question marks were you know is Chauncey Billups' system gonna work now that he has the defensive pieces and so far, the the results have been pretty promising.
1: What is go like as far as the Suns are concerned? This is something I'm curious about because, like, I've just been curious about how their season was going to go after mm-hmm. the way that it ended in the playoffs last year with the, you know, there was, there was all the weird stuff with DeAndre Ayton where he gets benched in that blowout against the Mavericks in game seven of that series. And then afterwards, basically Monty and James Jones both throw him under the bus and say like, Oh, it's internal. And then they, and this is by the way, after they didn't sign him to a contract extension as the number one overall pick before the season. So there was already some weird stuff going on and then they don't really, do make any effort to resign him. They basically let him dangle out there until Indy gives him that offer sheet. And then they match. And then, uh, on media day, Deandre Ayton says, Oh, I haven't talked to Monty since game seven. And then yeah. you know, he walks it back <laughs> like two days later. I had thought that that was just going to be such an irreparable situation that they were just going to be counting down the days until January 15th when he's trade eligible and that you know maybe it would affect them negatively on the court maybe it, when you're around the team every day is that situation like like would you expect that they're still looking to go in another direction even though they're playing he's playing well right now and they're playing well right now and they they have the best record in the west and they look like title contenders would you like as someone who covers the team every day and is around the team and is in the locker room do you think that Behind the scenes, everything is all good now because they're winning or is there is there are there still some issues there?
0: I I think it's good right now because they're winning. And I I think heading into the season, I'm around the team a lot and I had no idea what to expect, honestly, because you mentioned all of the terrible things (laughs) that happened out here in the Valley over the summer. It's hard to overcome that kind of on court and off court dysfunction as far as like just on the court you know, coming back from that type of a game seven loss in a 64 win season when you're supposed to be the favorite to win the title, like that's brutal enough on its own. And then you've got the Kevin Durant trade rumors. You've got the DA stuff. You've got the Robert Sarver investigation. Like
1: we're going to get to that by the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was just one barrage after another. So I honestly had no idea what to expect. I thought if they could get past that and just kind of focus on themselves, like the team itself has the makings of a 55 win team pretty, pretty easily. Like they're still really good. They still have all four of their core younger guys going into the year. And those guys are just going to at least stay the same, if not get better. Um, So I'm, I'm surprised that they got off to a seven and two start. Cause if you look at their opening slate, it's at Dallas, the team that knocked them out and they had some trauma to fight within that game. They were down huge in the first half again. They've got Portland, who is a good team. They've got the Clippers, the Warriors, and the Pelicans. Like, I was pretty surprised they came out of that stretch four and one. And it it just kind of reaffirmed that, okay, as long as they don't beat themselves, they're still a very good team. But it does feel like, you know, winning cures all. So I'm curious, okay, with with injuries now, with, you know, when, when adversity hits, What's gonna? Is there gonna be residue from the whole contract situation? Is there gonna be leftover resentment over the way that the summer went? I think Da and Monty are fine now. They seem perfectly fine, and Da has been his normal chipper self again. Um, but it is something to keep an eye on if they do go through a rough stretch, or if they do have an early playoff exit, or if you know Kevin Durant becomes available. Obviously, the math quickly changes there. So. There's still a lot of contingencies. I think as constructed, there's still a very good team, but you know, with this morning's news about Cam Johnson, that changes the math
1: a little bit. Yeah, the Cam Johnson news just sucks, and that that happened in the first of the two Portland games. So, I think that probably changed. You know, the out certainly the outcome of that game. I think you know, just given how down to the wire that game was, and it literally ended on a buzzer beater. I would think that if Cam Johnson was in that game and able to play, it might have gone a little bit differently have they said yet they, they they announced that he's having surgery for a torn meniscus have they said which version of the meniscus surgery there's going to have because there's two different versions of it there's the one where you go in and remove a little part of the meniscus or like whichever part of it is damaged and that one's usually about a six-week recovery And then there's the one where they go in and actually repair it and sew it back together. And that's more like a six to eight month recovery where he could miss the entire season. Have they said which of the two that they're going to do? Have they put a timeline on it?
0: They have not yet. And that's kind of the big question. And it's a tough one for Cam Johnson to make himself, honestly, because, you know, he's obviously talked about how much he wants to be in Phoenix long term. And I think it's meant a lot to him to have been here from the start and be able to build this program into a, a title contender. So, you know, obviously he's looking at this season and the rest of the team is as well as a kind of title or bust year. So that would normally kind of push him maybe more towards the short term uh, timetable where he's back in like six weeks so that he can still play this season. But that might not be best for him personally, because, I mean, Dwayne Wade did the shorter timetable when he tore his meniscus back in, I think, two thousand two. And he later said he regretted it because it, he thinks it contributed to the chronic knee issues that he dealt with with the Miami Heat after the fact. Um, if you do that longer timetable, you are more likely to avoid that kind of buildup, those kind of knee issues um, for the long term. And and for a guy who doesn't have, who didn't get a contract extension, and will be a restricted free agent, it's a tough line. Is it you know? Do I need to come back and and you know, reestablish my market value or do I do what's best for me long term because he's still only twenty six. Like he came into the league old, but he's still only twenty six years I old. I remember
1: that because when they drafted him, that <laughs> was and this was this was back when the Suns were still kind of thought of around the league as a joke and they, you know, they had just come off had they just no they 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 had just hired Monty. So this wasn't he was the nineteen draft, right? Uh, I think he was yeah. No, yeah. yeah, he was ni- he was 19. So this is when they had just hired Monty. So they didn't even have a. They, they were coming off of the year that they hired uh, Luca's coach from Slovenia, and then didn't draft right. Luca. They were <laughs> and then fired him after one year. They they were kind of still thought of as around the league as kind of a joke, and they didn't have that year, the year that got you know cut short because of COVID, where you know, they had Monty and it's like, okay, finally this team, you know, this is looking like looking kind of respectable. Like they were still kind of one of those teams. They were sort of like in the, in that Sacramento and, and Nick's zone of like, anytime they do anything that isn't like within the conventional wisdom of what quote unquote smart teams would do, people just like clown on them. So they, with the number, it was like what the 12th pick that they, drafted cam johnson it was like oh they drafted this guy who's already 22 and you know they were these younger guys <laughs> on the board who maybe had more upside like what and then it, it, it turns out that pick has worked out okay but like what, yeah. what do they do look like let's say worst case scenario let's say he has or worst case for the Suns in the short term he has the longer surgery and uh misses the whole season what do they do like how, how do they how do they fill that hole because that's a pretty big hole to fill
0: yeah, it, it really puts the kind of pressure on James Jones to either work out whatever's going on with Jay Crowder or trade him like you, you don't want to panic trade a guy and and short sell his value. But I mean, if a deal hasn't gotten done to this point, his value is not maybe what you thought it was. And you're going to have to just get a rotation player back of some sort because like not having Crowder kills them because they're they're rotation their bench it's been better than advertised but I, I don't know if it's going to hold and this team is not as deep as it was last year so you know when you don't have Cam Johnson now on top of not having Jay Crowder like you're looking at Tory Craig and Dario Sharich at the four moving forward maybe some Damian Lee depending on the lineups because they like to go small with him but like
1: he was good in these two games
0: he was and he's been very good to start the season to be fair like he's been He's hit a number of big shots. He hit the game winner, uh, I think, in the season opener against the Mavs. Like he, he's been, he's been very good for them. But like, you don't have a ton of depth at the four. And I'm sorry, I'll be shocked if Tory Craig keeps shooting 40 percent from three as the season goes along. <laughs> like it's, it's just not going to happen. Like I love the guy, and he's been shooting great in the Suns jersey. But it, it's, it's just not likely. And you need someone to replace the two way play, some of the movement shooting and just some of the firepower that he brings to the table because he was becoming a more complete scorer, um, a, a sort of two way guy who can guard a number of positions. So that not having him is brutal on both ends. And it really does lower their ceiling. Like I don't, I don't see this team as a title contender unless they get some external help with a trade of some sort.
1: What, is actually going on with the Jay Crowder thing? Cause you brought him up and I yeah. just don't like just looking from the outside. You obviously know more about the situation than I do, but I just don't, I don't get it. Like, tell, like, tell <laughs> me what's, what's actually going on there. Or do you even know? Does anybody know?
0: I don't know if anybody truly knows. I have heard that I've heard both sides of it, that it was because they weren't willing to give him a contract extension. And he was looking around and saw, you know, literally everybody else had gotten an extension in the last 12 months or so between Book Supermax and Chris Paul's contract the summer before, uh, Mikhail Bridges, like DA, everybody had gotten one except for him. And he's viewing himself as an important part of a 64 win core. I've also heard that it was a matter of they're not going to give me the contract extension. And now they're telling me I'm coming off the bench behind Cam Johnson in a contract year. So, apparently, that might have set him off until we hear from Jay himself, which is probably going to be on his next team. I don't know that we're going to get the full story of what happened, what went down behind the scenes. But it, it's weird because he's been a consummate pro since he came to the Suns. Like, he's been a huge part of building their culture up and building up this group as a winning team. But at the same time, like, he's a streaky three point shooter. He's. I think he's 33 now. So like, it's not like he was going to be a long-term fixture here. And it, it, it is kind of weird how he's handled the whole situation. And, and basically like he, he did what Kevin Durant didn't have the stomach to do and basically tried to force his way out. And I'm not sure I've ever seen a player of Jake Crowder's caliber do that that's the thing
1: it's like you're like you're Jay Crowder you're not like no disrespect to Jay Crowder he's had a very good career he's had a good long he's a 10-year veteran who's you know been a very good role player and a lot of good teams but you're not Kevin Durant you're Jay Crowder you can't you don't really have the leverage to (laughs) right
0: yeah and and it's and it's weird especially like if he was on like a a play-in caliber team like if he was on the Washington Wizards or something like that okay I could see that but like This is a 64-win team that has a chance to win a title if you just show up. And especially now, they'd still be in good shape if he were here with Cam Johnson going down. It it would be a blow for sure, but it's a lot worse. It's compounded by not having Jay Crowder around. So you've either got to find some sort of reconciliation, which seems unlikely, or you've got to find a way to bring in a rotation piece with a Jay Crowder trade because it's just – it's an you're wasting. You, they've already had one open roster spot, and then they have Jay Crowder occupying a roster spot who's not doing anything, and now they have Cam Johnson who's injured. Like that's three roster spots that are being not used on somebody that can help you. That that's just not going to get it done.
1: So you think it was him that decided he didn't want to be there, as opposed to the Suns telling him to stay? I, think, I know, I know they spun yeah. it as a mutual decision in the press release. Right. But you think it's you think it, you think it's Jay that decided I'm not going to come.
0: Right. I I think it was Jay that wanted out, that was upset by the situation because he was the one that tweeted out. uh, I think it was Dwayne Rankin who had tweeted. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. The 99 won't be there. Yeah. And and then he deleted it. Yeah.
0: Immediately deleted. And I knew as soon as I saw it, because I have the Twitter notification set up for him specifically. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, I better screenshot this because this is going to go away pretty (laughs) quick. Right. And it immediately did. And I, yeah. So I, I think it was him not wanting to show up and the Suns either framing it as a mutual decision or it truly being a mutual decision because they're trying to do right by him. Or at least they want that to be the way it's perceived on the outside, I guess.
1: So I don't, I don't like that. I just, I don't like when, <laughs> I don't like it whether, whether it's the player's decision or even whether it's the team's decision. I didn't like, I thought it was weird when the Thunder, I know the Thunder were trying to tank, but when the Thunder were just like, yeah, you know, we have Al Horford and he's healthy. We're just going to, we're just, we're just going to send him home. We're not going to play him. And then like where the yeah. Rockets did that with John Wall, which, you know, John Wall right. since then, I mean, I know you read that player's tribune essay, I'm sure, but like he yeah. made it very clear that he did not want to be sent home. But I, I just feel like if you're the Suns or you're any organization and you have a player that, you know, is a, that's an important role player. You want, you know, he wants the contract extension. You're not going to give him the contract extension. He wants to be traded you got to just sit him down and be like, look, we're going to work on getting you a trade. We're going to work on getting you to somewhere you want to go. Like, you know, you've got to trust us. We're going to we're gonna work on doing right by you. We're going to get you somewhere. But in the meantime, you're healthy and we're paying you and you're under contract and we need you and you're an important part of our team in the short term. Like, let's right. – you should, you know, just play. And I get maybe there's like a – you know, you don't want to risk injury and all that. But I just – I – if it's if it was the team that made the decision, I don't think that's a good look. And if it's the player that made the decision, I don't think that's a good. Like I just I don't like this thing of whether it whoever's decision it was a player who's healthy and able to play and under contract just not playing. I I I've that's I've, never sat well with me.
0: No, and, and it's a strange situation because you would think that if you're a player that wants to be traded you go to the team and you work that out behind closed doors and you don't let that get out to the public because as soon as everybody else knows that you're unhappy and that it's this weird mutual decision to not even show up, like other teams have the leverage now. Like they know that you're desperate to make a trade and their offers are not going to be as good as they would have been if it was just like, Hey, Jake Crowder, what do you think about him? You want to do a deal? Like, I just I don't get the incentive as a player for that information to become public. I I know that it obviously forces the organization's hand, but it makes it that much harder to trade them because now any leverage that they might have had is gone. So I don't know. It's a it's a tough situation and it's one of those where, like you said, it would have been so much better if they had just dealt with it behind closed doors, agreed to kind of just tough it out for the short term until they could find a deal. And then go from there. Now they're in this uncomfortable situation where it's like, okay, Cam Johnson's out. Is either side going to cave? And if not, are they going to be able to move him for a piece that actually helps them in a in their you know pursuit of a title this year? Because losing Cam hurts, and not having Jay makes that absence even worse than it already is.
1: Right, and they also they don't have a very big win. I mean, I know they. I, I guess you can say they have a window of being a good playoff team because. Booker is still pretty young and Aiton is still pretty young and like they, they have younger guys, but, and Bridges, but like Chris Paul is in his mid to late thirties at this point And we're kind of starting to see, it's not, it's not to like a Kyle Lowry level where you're just watching him this year with Miami and he's just not the same guy at all. It's not quite yeah. that bad yet, but he's, it's starting to slip a little bit this year. He was, he was pretty good in the, in the, uh, the two Portland games, but it's starting to like, it's starting to feel like Chris Paul might be, might, might be, you know, in his mid to late thirties now, more so than it was his first two years in Phoenix. So you kind of have this, this as your window to win a title now, and just not having anybody in that Jay Crowder or Cam Johnson spot. Like that, that's pretty much a, that's pretty much dead in the water. I would feel like. Oh yeah,
0: it definitely is. And that's kind of the Chris Paul thing is the biggest question of the season so far. And I honestly, can't answer it fully because you look at his percentages, his shooting numbers, they are really bad, but they're also using him in more off-ball situations than they have in the past because they've talked about wanting, you know, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, even Landry Shamit, guys who handle the ball on the perimeter to be able to initiate the offense, create some of their own offense. So come playoff time, when defenses hone in on Booker and CP3, they have other guys that can make defenses pay Monty had said, you know, he felt like that was a regret last year, not putting Mikhail and Cam in more of those situations because he was watching, you know, the Warriors, the Celtics, and they have three or four guys that you swing the ball around to them and they're capable of getting you a bucket. The Suns didn't really have that. So it's definitely a focus of theirs to have Chris Paul play off the ball more, let other guys initiate. And if it costs them a win or two there, here or there, like they're okay with that but that's an adjustment for Chris because for the first 17 years of his career, he's been a very ball dominant guard. His usage is way down. He's more of a catch and shoot guy. And at age 37, like his release is not as quick as it once was. It takes him a little more time to load that up. So at six foot one, he's not the best catch and shoot guy. Cause you know, defenders are going to close out on him pretty well. So it, it's been an adjustment. He's turned down a lot of shots that he needs to start taking. Um, but it is like their immediate title window is now. Like, you can't, Chris Paul will turn 38 by the time the next playoffs start. So, you need to maximize that window now. And that's brutal with Cam going down, especially if you can't find even a pseudo replacement for him with a Jay Crowder trade.
1: I do think it's smart, though, to start looking at, I, I, I know that like they probably need to have, you know, just Chris Paul doing Chris Paul's stuff in the short term, if they want their, you know, th- this immediate title window to be, you know, maximized. But I do think it's kind of smart long-term to start giving those other guys more of those ball handling responsibilities, because eventually you're going to, whether it's, it's, it's probably not going to be this year. Cause I think Chris Paul is still going to be good enough this year to, you know, still be able to give you, you know, 80 90 percent of what you normally expect from chris paul but like what if it falls off a cliff next year you want to have developed at least some sort of succession plan to not just be fully reliant on chris you want to be giving those other guys more ball handling responsibilities so it's it's kind of a tough balance you have to strike if you're monty right
0: yeah absolutely and it's like you're saying about the successor thing that's why they're kind of um Very weird approach to the draft is so concerning because, like, they have all of their picks, they don't have any extra picks coming in. But you look at teams like the Warriors, and the reason they've been able to sustain a lot of their success is you know, not just the health of their big three, but also the way that they've used late first round draft picks and hit on a lot of those. You know, you look at guys like Jordan Poole, and and so and like they've just been able to find Kevon Looney. He was a lottery pick, but I think he was 14th in his draft. Like they've just been able to find ways to
1: draft guys. Looney, I'm pretty are, sure was a second round pick. Was he? No, he was. Well, okay, so okay, so we're in between. We're in between. Our we're both wrong. He was the 30th pick of the first round in 20.
0: Okay, so, <laughs> I knew he was the last pick of something. I, I, I well, guess right. it was no, not he the lottery. It was the first round. Yeah. They,
1: <laughs> No, he was 2015. So this is coming off the first title. Okay, that's right. Okay, okay. so but but I yeah, mean, I mean the point, the point still stands. Like Mo, like Moses Moody has like Kaminga has been kind of in and out of the rotation, and Wiseman. You know, their people are now starting to question whether he's even a long term piece. But overall, like they've had they've had a good track record with finding those guys. Even like a, even like like some of those guys that aren't on the team anymore, like a guy like Patrick McCaw, who was a contributor on some of those title teams back in you know five years ago or whatever, like they find those guys.
0: Right. And and that's, that's kind of why it's concerning. The Suns don't really put much stock in the draft because you need to be able to do that and inject your team with young, new talent. You need to be able to find a Chris Paul successor and, you know, apologies to campaign and Dwayne Washington jr. But they are not that. Um, And especially because you look at next season, like only half of Chris Paul's salary is guaranteed only like 15 Or 16 of the 31 million he's owed. And then the following year, it's completely non guaranteed. So, like, they they put in these contingencies because they knew there's a possibility Chris Paul approaching age, you know, 39, 40 is not going to be as good anymore. But the problem is okay, you have this young core, you have Devin Booker, you have DeAndre Ayton, you have Mikhail Bridges, you should maybe have Cam Johnson. Like, who is going to be the point guard? Who is going to be
1: that fifth
0: piece of the future. And right now they don't really have anybody.
1: Yeah. And I mean, bringing it, bringing it back to Portland a little bit, this is kind of what they've got in place where, you know, Dame is not as old as Chris Paul. And before he had this calf injury, which by the way, I don't, I, I don't, I don't have a hard date on when he's going to play, but I would guess it's going to be in the next couple of games. I keep hearing that there's, that they're just kind of being cautious and taking it slow. And that's not anything they're concerned about, but Mm -hmm he's not as old as Chris Paul. He's 32. And in the first six or whatever games of the season that he played in, he looked as good as he ever has. So you think he's still probably got two or three years left of being Dame and being, you know, being at this level, but they've already kind of, that's why they signed Anthony Simons to the deal that they signed him to is that whenever he ages out of being the guy, now Simons is going to be ready to take over as the guy. And then you've got Shaden Sharp behind him and they, it's kind of the same thing. They've been able to kind of find, you know, guys behind him. And, you know, you have a, and, you know, I don't want to call Dame aging at 32 because he's still, you know, he may be the tail end of his prime, but he's still in his prime. But like, right. he's, he's not, he, he's not 26 anymore. So they have to start thinking about it a little bit. And they've kind of been able to start doing that. And Simons has so far, I think, shown that he's ready to step into at least some semblance of that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and that's, you know, James Jones has done a great job of revamping this roster in a very short time. But as far as, you know, understanding the value of individual assets, like the, the ends have justified the means, but a lot of the means have been a little questionable as far as the individual value he's getting on trades, the way that he's used some draft picks, like taking Jalen Smith over Tyrese Halliburton and Desmond Bain, I, I'm convinced that this team would have a championship if that had never happened because
1: well, but if you have Tyrese Halliburton, there's your Chris Paul succession plan right there.
0: <laughs> right, right. Like you're set, you're good, but it's, it's a, it's a tough situation. And, you know, Portland, like you mentioned, they're another good example of teams that are replenishing the cupboard with young talent. You need to be able to do that. Even if you're a young team, like Sun, or, you know, young middle twenties team, like the suns, Um, And right now, I'm just kind of not seeing where you go from here when Chris Paul does start to diminish. And and maybe, you know, I've I've mentioned Shea Gilgis Alexander, but the way that he's been playing, like the Thunder would be crazy to move him anytime soon. Yeah,
1: that's not going to happen. Yeah. That's that's not going to happen. What's going on with the sale right now? When is that going to get done?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the initial timeline that everybody's been saying is like six to nine months. So I would probably expect that to be in that range. We haven't really gotten a lot of information. We've heard numerous names come up, like the most recent juicy name that came up was the the
1: whole Barack Obama thing. I don't know if you I, saw yeah. that.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, that was,
1: that was Bill Simmons that said that on Charles Bark with Charles Barkley. Yeah.
0: He was he was at an, a rally I think out here in Arizona a couple of days ago and he was asked about the Suns and he was like that was news to Michelle and I but the Suns are looking pretty good so he kind of <laughs> he didn't totally shoot well, it, it would, down it I'm would, just it would have
1: to be it would have to be like a Magic Johnson Dodger situation like he doesn't I know he has like a, a lot of money because he got like the Spotify deal or in his book deal or whatever in addition to you know whatever money he'd like he doesn't have the money to be v buyer it would have to be a magic johnson dodger (laughs) situation with him where he would team with someone who actually has the the billions and he would just be like the public face of it like i I, i've kept i've kept hearing and and theorizing that it's going to be bob Iger, but i don't know if i don't even even him i don't even know if he has the money by himself so i don't i don't think he does
0: if Yeah, like looking at his net worth, I don't think he does have that kind of wealth. He would probably be, it would be a similar situation where he'd be kind of the big name uh, that's backed by more money elsewhere. Um, You you know, but everybody keeps throwing out big names like, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos keeps coming up, Loreen Jobs. Um, But I, I feel like to this point, it's all just a lot of speculation. So we haven't really gotten anything concrete to go off of. Hopefully in the next few months, we'll actually get some... Real details on who might be interested in buying this team, um, but for now, honestly, it's just kind of a relief to have one less storm cloud hanging overhead as far as the whole Sarver
1: situation. How has that been for you covering it? Because this is not what either of us. I mean, I I had my turn with it last year at first, like when the Blazers hired Chauncey Billups and everything that kind of went on around that, and then also a couple months later with the neil olshay investigation and him eventually getting fired and that whole thing like and i i was talking to a buddy of mine who covers the Spurs and he's just now going through that with with uh Josh Primo and that whole situation and yeah. obviously like i i know people who cover the Nets and that's just a complete disaster right now with the Kyrie stuff and then also the Eme Udoka so like it's, it's just like We all get into covering the NBA because we're fans of the NBA and we're fans of the sport. And you don't Mm -hmm. get into this expecting that, in my case, you're going to cover the hiring of a coach with a sexual assault allegation from 25 years ago that the organization then lies about how much they investigated it and then the GM gets fired for running a hostile workplace culture. And then in your case, hey, it turns out the owner has been – behaving badly in all sorts of ways for 18 years and now he's not actually forced to sell the team but basically forced to sell the team because all the sponsors were pulling out like how how have you how how has that been for you covering that on a day-to-day basis when that isn't kind of what you got into this to do
0: yeah i mean i won't lie like the last couple months have not been fun and I, i i you know going to a journalism school and learning the ins and outs of the industry like i knew that i didn't have the thick skin to you know, report on crime or politics or stuff like that. Right. I love basketball, so it was a natural fit. So when you have to cover stories that are obviously much bigger than basketball, it's it's not fun and it's hard. And I, I wish that that's I wish that people kind of understood that because you comment on the Kyrie Irving situation, you've got dozens of people in your mentions telling you you're an idiot or you should just focus on the game or why aren't we talking about basketball? And it's like. Trust me, I would love to be doing that.
1: (laughs) But I I mean, and it's also you also just you have to be careful with what you say about this kind of stuff too publicly. You can't just like if you just fire off a take on Twitter about like oh I you know this guy you know should be benched or this guy you know the coach should put this guy in or that you know they should run this instead. Like people might call you an idiot, but like it's just basketball, so who cares really? But like I got the other day, I got an email from a producer at a national news network on TV asking mm-hmm. me if I could come on to talk about the Kyrie situation, because oh, that's yeah. now <laughs> crossed over to being news news, as opposed to just sports news because of, you know, the anti-Semitism and, you know, the kind of climate of the country right now and all of this mm-hmm. other stuff. And If it was a player on the team that I cover and I was around it every day, I probably would have done it. But Mm -hmm. I said no, because first of all, it was at like eight. They they wanted to do it at eight Eastern, which is five Pacific. So it's like, "Hmm, do I want (laughs) to do I want to wake up at five in the morning my time to go on national TV and speak extemporaneously about a star NBA player posting a video that theorizes that the jews are like conspiring against black people like do do i do i really want to do that do i want to risk even like i don't think i would say anything stupid about it but like do i really want to risk that like no you you have to and you know it's the same thing with like you know when the when the chauncey billups stuff was going on last summer like i had to Mm -hmm. you have to be you you know you can feel however you want to feel about it privately but you have to publicly say you know they settled out of court and you know all of all of this stuff. And the, like you have, there are ways that you have to be able to talk about it. And you have to be able to talk about some of this stuff. Like I, I, there was one of the, one of the TV programs associated with one of the league's partners the other day on one of their telecasts was talking about the whole Nets situation. And mm-hmm. they were talking about the Ime Yudoka part of it. And one of the commentators was saying like, you know, why don't we know the woman's name that was involved in this too? And it's just like what, going on TV and saying like, why would you, uh, I don't know, man. It's just yeah. like, you have to, you have to have the, this is the thing I tell people all the time when they ask me about like advice for getting into the business, you know, they want to cover the NBA or they want to cover sports. The thing that now, you know, and this is even going back to a couple of years ago when COVID was going on and then like the George Floyd stuff started. And so the racial justice discussion started being more of a part of the sports consciousness, if you will. Mm -hmm. What I started telling people was it's not enough to know a lot about the NBA and know a lot about the sport or whatever sport you're covering. Now you have to be, you know, you have to be an expert in infectious diseases and to talk about like the safety of playing during COVID or you have to, you know, you have to be able to talk and then you have to be able to turn around and like when, the players walk off in the bubble because of the Jacob Blake shooting. You have to be able to talk about that in a sensitive and appropriate way. And then, you know, when Kyrie Irving doesn't want to get the vaccine, you have to be able to talk about that appropriately. And then when, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, this player on the Spurs gets cut and the woman that was their sports psychologist is suing them for not doing anything earlier when he exposed himself to her. Allegedly, you got to be able to talk about that. And then when Kyrie posts this anti-Semitic conspiracy video or this Alex Jones thing, you have to be able to talk about that. And then when the nets are probably about to hire a coach who's suspended by his current team for having an inappropriate workplace relationship with an employee, like, you have to, like, there's just so much other stuff you have to be able to talk <laughs> about. And unfortunately, it's going to come into play sometimes with, you know, with me, with the Olshay stuff, and then with you now with this Sarver stuff that I think the worst of it is kind of past because the report came out and then all the stuff f- followed from that. And then he said he's going to sell the team. So at least in the short term, there's some resolution, but that's still ongoing for you.
0: Right. And it's, fortunately, it doesn't feel, like I said, it feels like that kind of storm cloud has lifted a little bit. Obviously, it's not completely out of sight, out of mind, because there are people that still work for this organization that, you know, were culpable in a lot of the stuff that went on behind the scenes. And there are people that still work for this organization that were victims of that behavior. So it's one of those things that you have to continuously bear in mind is that, you know, there are a lot of. Un- people that were unhappy working for this team that are still unhappy, that were traumatized, that were, you know, had to go to therapy because of some of this stuff. Um, And there are a lot of people that were responsible for that, that are still in place. So, you know, it's one of those things that you'll revisit once the new owner situation is getting sorted out and seeing, okay, are they cleaning house? Are they, you know, who is staying and who is going? Because there are some people that definitely still need to go aside from Sarver. Um, So that, that does, you know, make it less fun covering an NBA team. But, you know, when we were in the heat of the, in the height of the Sarver stuff, like it was not fun doing a five day a week podcast. Like it was not fun talking about very sensitive and serious issues. And, you know, my, your mindset is always to be sensitive and be cognizant of, the people that were affected by this first and foremost um, because, you know, a lot of the attention turns to well, what does this mean for getting rid of Sarver and like all that stuff. And it's like, okay, but there are like very real victims here that for me, that's how I always approach it. Um, but it is, it is a delicate situation where you have to be extremely careful more than usual about what you are saying and how you are saying it because the intention is never to, you know, say anything libelous or say anything that's not true or say anything insensitive. But, you know, when you're when you're talking into a microphone for an hour a day for five days a week, like sometimes you are not going to phrase things as as delicately or as well as you want to. So you have to be mindful of that. And it's it's mentally taxing when you really got into this to talk about basketball. And that's where your knowledge and your expertise lies Like you were saying, you have to learn a lot very quickly about a lot of subjects that, you know, otherwise I would be still be informed on things like the vaccine and, you know, these, you know, like the Jacob Blake shooting, stuff like that. But like maybe not to the degree of an expert. And like you're saying, like if a national outlet had asked me to talk about anything other than my little central hub, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that either, despite the reputation that we have of, you know, wanting exposure and wanting clicks and all this stuff. Like,
1: right. When I was younger, I might've said yes to that because it was a national news outlet and it would have been (laughs) good exposure for me. But now it's like, I'm at a point in my career where I don't necessarily need that. And I'm just like, I'm not going to go on TV and talk about, like I'm not reporting on, like if it was a player on the blazers that was involved in this controversy, then of course I would do it. Like I did so much, you know, national, stuff like radio tv podcast whatever when all the olshay stuff was going on because i was close to it because i was reporting on it every day i'm comfortable talking about it every day just like that right. but for something even even when it's something that everybody's following and everybody has an opinion on like this Kyrie irving stuff mm-hmm. get someone who covers the nets to do it get someone who's close to it to do it
0: right and god bless those nets reporters because lord knows the last. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah for, for <laughs> close personal friend of mine back because we you know we used to cover the bulls at the same time. So Nick and I have known each other for a long time and he's just been he's he's having a moment right now as far as like he's the guy that's getting into it with Kyrie for just asking the basic appropriate fair questions about why he posted what he posted and so he's kind of going viral off of that. So you know he's 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 doing his job.
0: Right. And and I was impressed with the way that he conducted himself during that press conference. And I know the couple of times I've tweeted about Kyrie, my mentions have been a dumpster fire. So I can only imagine what that dude is going through the last couple of <laughs> well, weeks. Well, when you
1: work for ESPN, you have way more followers than you or I do just because you have that affiliation. And you're just, like I, I, I barely look at my mentions anyway at this point, just because there's just so much stuff to filter through. And I don't have nearly as many followers as uh, yeah (laughs) and even even just like even just on basketball stuff like i tweeted the other night after the first suns blazers game Mm. i guess to bring this full circle before i let you go but i tweeted after that game because the the game that they played before that their last home game was the game they lost to memphis and Mm. it was a winnable game they were down big they came back they had a chance to tie it and jeremy grant got called for a travel and the last two minutes report said that he shouldn't have been called for a travel and then there were also in the in the last two minutes report there were a couple of other foul calls that maybe the grizzlies committed that weren't called that should have gone in favor of portland and so mm-hmm. of course there were a lot of fans online being like oh we were robbed in this game and then the first blazers suns game ends the way it does with Jeremy Grant hitting this buzzer beater and <laughs> I, know, I watched yeah. I watched it on TV at the time I thought it was a travel and I just tweeted something to the effect of like, "This is why I wouldn't—I would tell fans not to blame the refs for them losing a game because sometimes it's going to go your way, like the Jeremy Grant thing." And then, even when I tweeted that, I had people in my mentions like, "Oh, but this is actually <laughs> a like, oh, but it actually wasn't a travel; it was on the gather step. It was actually—you don't even—you're an idiot. You don't even know the correct rules." And then, you know, <laughs> sure enough, what happens the next day? They say that you know the last two minutes report comes out, and it turns out that that Jeremy Grant actually a Jeremy Grant traveled and B mikel Bridges didn't travel on the previous possession where he was called for one that led to that possession where they were even able to get that shot off. So it's like, I can't like, you can't even tweet about stuff like that. That's just like, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, whether mm-hmm. a, referee gets a call right or wrong in a basketball game because it's just a basketball game at the end of the day but like you can't even tweet about stuff like that without people being in your mentions calling you an idiot tweeting about a very famous and popular nba player tweeting an anti-semitic conspiracy documentary (laughs) and then not apologizing for it until he's basically forced to because he got suspended like tweeting about that even though like it's very clearly like we are the side that you and I come down on on that whole situation is the correct side that, you know, what Kyrie did was wrong and he should apologize. Like even the the most basic, you know, you would think easily defensible take like that is going to have pushback because you just, Mm -hmm. you know, we have this platform. And then, you know, if you're, I mean, I, I dealt with it with the, with the old Shea stuff with the Chauncey Billups. I was the one that asked the question to Neil in the, press conference about how they vetted the allegations. And he gave me that that's proprietary, Sean quote. And most people were, most people reacted positively to it, but I did have people in my mentions saying, Oh, this was not the appropriate thing to do. He's getting introduced as a coach. You should ask about basketball. I'm just like, like what?
0: Right. (laughs) Like that's, that's the thing that bothers me is like whether it's about basketball stuff or whether it's about more serious, bigger than basketball stuff that happens to enter the NBA sphere, like people just do not like us like <laughs> because we're quote unquote media. And I'm like, yo, like we're not working for like CNN or Fox or any of these big conglomerates. Like we're, a lot of us are people doing our own thing that had to kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just prove that we knew the game to even get our current positions covering sure, an yeah. NBA team. Like we're, we're not, like part of this like media everybody always goes to the blaming the media like the media
1: well the thing is i think i think people look at when 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 a lot of people think about the media And i think i think a lot i think a lot of times players are guilty of this too and i think this is why a lot of players are maybe more distrustful of us than maybe they should be because when they think of the media they think of like skip bayless or whoever on one of those like debate shows just yelling on tv about like oh this (laughs) guy's this guy's soft or this guy is you know not a true winner or whatever Mm -hmm. and they don't like most and it's like you know the fact is most of us try to you know be professional and be respectful and do it the right way and you know i've I've never had an issue with a player that i've covered like i've you know i've i've always because i you know i treat people with respect and i don't write anything or say anything on a podcast that I wouldn't say to somebody's face. And I think that players respect that, but they hear the words the media and they think of like a skip Bayless or, you know, any of those guys who are just on TV yelling and aren't, you know, at games or in the locker room or actually talking to people or, or any of that. The thing that just blew my mind over the summer was when the Knicks just refused to have a press conference with, you know they because they, they, the Knicks still have not had a press conference with Leon Rose since he took the job three years ago or whatever. And right. whenever any of the Knicks beat writers tweet about that, they have fans in their mentions. I see it all the time. <laughs> like a, a couple of the Knicks beat writers are friends of mine. So I see all their tweets about it. And then I see the replies that are like these Knicks fans being like, you guys are just crying because they're not giving you access, but you guys just write negative stuff about them all the time. So why should they give you access? It's like, you're a fan of the New York Knicks. You should not be siding with the organization over, you know, people who are trying to ask questions to the people that are making the decisions. Like the, the Knicks are not an organization that should be getting the benefit <laughs> of the doubt against media scrutiny. I'm sorry. like, But it's always, no. it, it always just blows my mind. Like, and I think, I mean, it speaks to like a bigger problem in, in the country, like outside of sports that a lot of people don't trust the news media because they've been told by certain people that, anything they disagree with is fake news and i think that's why we're in a lot of the spot that we're in on a lot of ways but in sports it's kind of to the point where it's like anything that isn't like being a cheerleader for the team that you're covering or the team that somebody's a fan of it's just like you you, you people yeah. just don't want it
0: right it, it's definitely bled over into sports unfortunately and it's like You know, I'm just trying to do my job. Like, I I love covering an NBA team and it's supposed to be fun, but there are a lot of days, especially with all of the extra stuff that's been going on in the NBA over the last few months, years, that's been just horrible news. Um, It's made it a lot more difficult. And that's the funny, the ironic thing is that they're always talking about how we're trying to stir up controversy or get clicks or whatever and half the time i'm like i would rather be talking about basketball than any of these things but it's still important to talk about these things especially since they are in this sphere so it's <laughs> it's it's a losing battle but it, some people appreciate it at least
1: well that's what i like about what you guys are doing at phnx we're like it's very clearly like I, I know the company that you guys are a part of like, I know Adam Mara is quite well. And like a lot of the DNVR yeah. guys, and I'm actually friends with a lot of the CHGO guys too. shout out to my buddy, Will Gottlieb, who I used to work with at the athletic. Who's their, their bulls guy there. Like mm-hmm. what I think like, you guys do well is like, you guys are very clearly and you know, what you say you are is you're a fan focused outlet. You're, you know, you you guys come at it from a fan's perspective and that's kind of what you do. And you kind of usually like to keep it light and keep it fun and, focus on kind of the more lighthearted aspects of some stuff. But then, you know, and I, cause I, you know, I've been following this when, you know, I've been following a lot of what you guys have been doing, what since the Sarver stuff came out and, you know, I've been following because I used to live in Chicago and I have a lot of friends there still. I was following a lot of like what the CHGO guys were doing when some of this stuff with the bears has happened recently where it's been, yeah. you know, a little bit combative with the organization And you guys are still able to pivot and do do that stuff seriously and handle it in the way that it should be handled while still when it comes to talking about the game and talking about the encore stuff, being able to do that kind of in a way that's engaging to fans. Why don't you tell it? I'm going to let you go. You got, God, we've gone for almost an hour. I'm going to, I'm going to let you go, but like tell, tell, tell people a little bit about PHNX and kind of what you guys are doing for people who maybe are in my audience because we don't have that here in Portland. So it's maybe something that's a little bit not as familiar to my, maybe my audience as you guys are, but you guys should check out what Gerald's doing, but you know, give, give people a little background on that.
0: Yeah. Well, well, thank you for the kind words. Um, It's, it's been a lot of fun. We've only been at this for just over a year now, but we're the second of three of these kind of all city networks. The first one was in Denver, DNVR, we're Phoenix and then Chicago, but we're, we're basically doing five shows a week that are, they upload as podcasts, they're live shows like on YouTube that people can come and hang out in the chat with us and, you know, live chat us while we're doing our shows. Um, and then I'm obviously doing the written content for Suns Games, covering all of that stuff. Um, but we, we like to do a lot of digital media stuff. We're pretty active on social and Um, you know, we like that interactive component of our shows. We think it's, it's fun to hang out with fans. We do pregame shows, postgame shows. Um, and it's, it's been a blast. Like I, we, we do approach it from a fan perspective. So we try to have fun. Like if the team wins, obviously we're going to be talking about the good stuff in that game. If the team loses, we're going to be looking for silver linings or trying to make people feel better by the end of the hour long show or whatever it is. Um, i am i come at it from kind of more of the traditional journalist perspective, as far as like being a little more objective and being kind of the beat writer, but you know, our other co-hosts are very, um, you know, very much coming at it from the fan perspective. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. We, we cover, uh, not just the Suns, but like every Arizona sports team that we've got out here, uh, Denver and Chicago are the same way. So hopefully we'll be able to expand in the near future and bring some of these, uh, these concepts elsewhere cuz i think
1: it's it's been fun building that kind of sports
0: community out here.
1: Yeah, it's really cool what you guys are doing and you know, you're I've you know, i've been following your your work for a long time covering the Suns and the NBA and i'm really happy for you getting this kind of elevated platform to be able to do that and especially right now with everything going on with the Suns, it's been it's been great to see you attack all of that stuff and be able to kind of make, you know, make a name for yourself and in, in, in that way. So I've been, I, I really I really appreciate you coming on and doing this with me.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Sean. That means a lot too. Cause I know I've been on Twitter for uh, probably 11 or 12 years now. Um, I had to start a Twitter account back for a social media class back in college. And I remember you were one of the first NBA writers that I started following. So that uh, that does mean a lot. And I've been a big fan of your work as well. And Um, obviously been keeping
1: up with the Blazers stuff uh, through what you're doing
0: too. So thank you for
1: that. Yeah, maybe we'll do this again if the Blazers and the Suns play each other in the playoffs, which now feels a little bit more within the realm of possibility than it did previously. Yeah, it definitely does. Cool. All right. Thanks thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, absolutely.